Today's reading comes from Romans 8, verses 17 to 23. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but the, by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Good morning. I hope you're having an enjoyable morning at home, despite the circumstances that we're in at the moment. It's been an interesting time, hasn't it? It's been a time of fear and uncertainty. It's been a time of sickness and even death. Uh, we're seeing record levels of unemployment and underemployment. The economic outlook for the next while isn't particularly great. And we've had to make big changes to what everyday life looks like. And so quite likely coronavirus has been a cause of suffering for you, just as it has been for many millions of people around the world. Quite likely though, even before this pandemic hit, you knew what it was like to suffer, uh, whether it was through physical or, or mental illness, grief, loss, or, or whatever else. Uh, eventually, suffering comes to all of us um, in different ways and, and different levels of intensity, sure, but we all will suffer. Uh, even if you're with us this morning, you're not Christian, you're just checking church out, it's, it's great that you're with us. Um, this is just as relevant for you as it is for me. Now, if we all suffer, then the big question to ask is, is this. What gets you through suffering? What is it that gets you through to the other side, even when that other side might seem so far away? This is a very real question. It's personal. It matters. And I want to say that the gospel message, the, the message that lies right at the heart of the Christian faith, it gives us an answer to this question that we just don't get anywhere else. It gives us uh, not only a promise that, that puts suffering in its right perspective, but also a God who gets it who understands what it is that we're going through. Uh, now, we've spent the last few Sundays looking at the book of Romans, which is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Roman church. And in particular, we've been going through chapter 8 of Romans, which is a wonderful message of assurance, both to the church then and there, but also for us today as well. The assurance that it gives is in light of two confronting challenges to believers, sin and suffering. Uh, so in chapter 7, Paul has explained from his own experience how we're simply unable to properly obey God in our own strength. 
We try and we try and we try to do the right thing, but we keep messing up. Sin stops me from being the good person that I want to be. But then Paul brings the assurance in Romans chapter 8. Even though we deserve it, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, because God sent his own son, Jesus, to suffer in our place, to pay the debt that was ours so that we can be right with God if we commit to living for Jesus. And that's not the end of the story either. God also gives us new spiritual life by his Holy Spirit, transforming us. He gives us the privilege not simply of being his forgiven people, but being his adopted sons and daughters. And so we can call God Father. We're co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus isn't just our saviour, he's our brother as well. This is awesome news. But then in verse 17, we see a bit of a catch, don't we? Being God's children means we follow the path that Jesus took, which is suffering and then glory. Jesus suffered in, in humility and in death for us before rising to life and ascending to heaven in great glory. And we follow a similar path as his people, which means suffering now. So is it worth it? Is it worth it? Suffering, it leaves us with a desperate need for assurance, assurance that it'll be worth it. And Paul's answer to that question, verse 18, is yes, it will be. Our present sufferings, he says to the Roman Christians, are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I've watched the AFL Grand Final every year for as long as I can remember. Every year the, the Grand Final gets played, a team wins, the players on that team are, are absolutely ecstatic. I've never seen a player on the winning team get interviewed after the game and say, look, you know what, all of that gruelling pre-season practice, it just wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. No, the pain is worth the glory. And Paul is saying that likewise, the pain will be worth the glory for the suffering believer. Now, when Paul talks about suffering, I take it he's referring to two types of suffering here. Firstly, there's a persecution that comes as a result of following Jesus, but also suffering that would occur regardless. So sickness, grief, natural disasters, uh, so on and so forth. As we read the rest of the chapter, it's clear that both of these types of suffering are in mind. Now, because of the, the personal and the painful nature of suffering, I think, I think it would be fair to say that we don't weigh all opinions on suffering equally. It's a bit like when someone without a medical degree publicly suggests that a, a contagious respiratory illness could be cured by swallowing disinfectant. Um, we're cynical, aren't we? we? We don't really weigh that opinion particularly highly. We, we wonder what authority that person has to make that comment. And in the same way, if someone is going to instruct us about suffering, we're going to take them a lot more seriously if we know 
that that person has walked the path of suffering themselves. Well, the Apostle Paul has good authority to speak on the topic of suffering. If we read the book of 2 Corinthians, for instance, we see uh, the breadth of suffering that Paul endures in his ministry. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, hunger, being regarded as an imposter. Uh, Paul was imprisoned, he was flogged, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, and much, much more. So Paul writes these words with a personal understanding of what it means to suffer. And the Roman church would need this assurance as well. Just um, a few short years after this letter was written, the church would endure a horrific reign of persecution under the Emperor Nero. And in fact, they would endure persecution for much of the three centuries that followed. And yet, these sufferings are nothing compared with the glory that's to come. Which, for me, is one of the most powerful explanations in the Bible for what a wonderful hope we have in Jesus. When we think of the worst sufferings that, that we've experienced or that we've, we've seen people that we know and love endure, to know that the glory of Jesus being revealed in us uh, will be worth it. That is incredible. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But next, Paul tells us that it's no surprise that we suffer because we live in a broken world. And the brokenness of the world is really, it's evidence that things aren't right. Uh, creation, so the whole created world and universe is waiting for the coming glory. But in the meantime, it's subjected to frustration and to decay because people chose to reject God and do things their own way. It's the, the tragic story that we read in the book of Genesis, right at the start of the Bible. We see that God created the world. He created it, and it was good. And then what he did was he made people in his own image, and he gave us the job of looking after creation under his rule. But instead, Adam and Eve rejected God. They, they rejected that rule. They disobeyed God. They chose to live under their own rule, instead. And what we read in Genesis, and in fact what we see played out throughout the whole Bible and in our own lives, is that this rejection of God, it brought consequences. It ruins the relationship between people and God. It ruins the relationship between people. And it ruins the relationship between people and creation. God curses the ground. Human sin has brought creation under God's curse. And we, we continue to subject it to frustration. Uh, this isn't just a concern for people who don't identify as Christians either. I think all of us would acknowledge to some degree that humanity has at times treated nature and our planet with contempt. And of course, in the end, we suffer the consequences for that, whether that's right now or in generations to come. Ultimately, we suffer for it. So the created world is not, the created world that we see 
is not what God made it to be. It's been cursed and it's been corrupted. The results, well, floods, famines, droughts, bushfires, sickness, the list goes on. The fate of this broken world is tied up with the fate of God's children. Creation, verse 19, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. It's almost like if you picture an awards night where a limousine pulls up to the red carpet and a door opens and everyone is in eager expectation for who the famous person is who's going to get out. They can't wait to see who it is. So why this eager expectation? Well, because the children of God will do what humanity was supposed to do all along. They're going to take care of creation properly. Uh, if we look at verse 22, cre uh, creation isn't groaning with dying gasps, but with birth pains. Because like with childbirth, the suffering is going to give way to something new and wonderful. Now we might think of heaven as being up in the sky, lots of clouds, lots of harps, lots of white dresses and all that sort of thing. That's not the picture that the Bible gives us of heaven. That's the picture that cartoons give us of heaven. When Jesus returns, he's going to renew creation right here. Creation will be what it was always supposed to be. Not cursed, not corrupted, but good. And God's children will care for it like we were always supposed to do. And so creation waits for this glory and we wait for this glory as well. We, um, we see verse 23, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. But hang on a minute, why are we waiting? Aren't we God's children already if we follow him? We've, we've already seen in Romans that anyone who has uh, united themselves with Jesus by faith has the Holy Spirit and then chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, those who have the Holy Spirit are God's children. So yes, it's a present identity being God's children. But at the same time, it's an identity that hasn't been fully realised yet. We still live with the reality of sin. But God, by his Spirit, he is conforming us into the image of Jesus. Uh, we'll explore that a bit more in a couple of weeks' time, but that, that's what God is doing. It's a process that won't be complete in this lifetime, but in the life to come. Because after, after this life of sharing in Jesus' sufferings, we will also share in Jesus' resurrection. This glory that is going to be revealed in us is that we're going to be made to be perfectly like Jesus. Uh, we'll have redeemed bodies, not the, the bodies that we currently live in, which are subject to, to sin and to suffering and to sickness and to death. No, we will have redeemed bodies. And when that day comes, our identity as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, it's going to be on full display. It's going to be perfect. Jesus will be the firstborn among many. The glory of Jesus is going to be revealed in each one of his followers. 
You think about the most impressive person you know, the most glorious person you know. The glory of Jesus is going to be infinitely greater even than that person's glory. It's going to be a wonderful thing. Okay, so what do we take from this passage? We've, we've gone through it. What, what is the take home from this passage? Well, firstly, it's important for us to recognise the inevitability of suffering in a fallen, broken world. Suffering doesn't mean that God is bad. It means that things aren't as they ought to be. We haven't reached the destination yet. The state of the world and, and the state of our own personal lives testifies to that. Suffering should drive us not to despair, but to eager expectation and longing for something better. It should drive us into God's safe and loving arms. And it should also rob us of any confidence that we have what it takes in our own strength, because we don't. Personally, I know that times of suffering are the times that drive me much more to prayer than the smooth times in life. And that's really reflective of the entire church history, because throughout church history, amazing growth has happened amidst the worst of sufferings and persecutions. But on the flip side, it's been the, the times of affluence and comfort for the church that have produced stagnation and, and corruption in the church. So we realise the inevitability of suffering in a broken world, but more than just accepting suffering, we see beyond it to the promised hope, holding to that amazing promise in verse 18 that our sufferings won't even compare with the coming glory. And can I say that the more that you've suffered in life, the more amazing that promise actually is, the more exciting that promise actually is, the more, the more real it is. And we can be real. We can be real. Because no matter what hope we have, no matter how sure our hope in, in this promise is, suffering is still excruciating. Knowing that this promise is true doesn't mean that our pain is light right now. Uh, we just have to cling to this promise, knowing that it's true, even when it doesn't feel true, even when it feels so far off, um, even if we can't get out the words to express to God the pain that we're feeling, we cling to this promise of verse 18. And we don't just know that the future promise is real, but, but we know that Jesus hears us and understands us right here, right now. Because he entered into this broken world. He experienced deep suffering and anguish for us. Brené Brown is an American sociologist and she's done a talk where she compares, uh, she talks about the difference between empathy and sympathy. So when someone is in a dark hole, figuratively speaking, in, in, in life, if someone is in a dark, dark hole, sympathy is when I look down into that hole and, and I say, oh, wow, that looks difficult. Empathy, on the other hand, is getting in the hole myself, identifying with what that person is going through, being with them in their suffering. 
And the cross shows us beyond doubt that Jesus is with us in our suffering. We don't have a God who just watches our suffering from a, a comfortable vantage point above the whole, uh, but we have one who entered its very depths for us. So we have an awesome promise to cling to. When our glorious identity as children of God is fully realized, the very worst of sufferings won't compare. Take some time to let that sink in because that is, that is a huge truth to get our heads around. You might find it helpful reflecting on the words of the song that we're about to sing in a moment. Like the book of Romans, it was written by someone who was familiar with suffering. It was written by a man who, through a series of, of tragedies, literally lost almost everything in his life. He lost money, he lost family. But in the face of unimaginable suffering, he was still able to declare, it is well with my soul. There's more great assurance to come in the, the coming weeks in Romans chapter 8. We've got some great passages to look at still, so please keep joining us over the next few weeks, but, but let me pray for us now. Father in heaven, we, we give you great thanks that in the midst of pain and grief and suffering and uncertainty, that your promises are real. We thank you for this wonderful promise of Romans chapter 8, that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is hard for us to understand because our, our sufferings are, are so great, they consume us, they cause us such grief. It's very hard to see past them. Uh, but, but we thank you for this awesome promise and we pray that you would help us to cling to this during the difficult times, that times of suffering would not draw us away from you, but that they would drive us into your loving arms and that they would just make us even more long for that day when, when things are made right and for when the glory of Jesus is revealed in us. Uh, please sustain us to that day and help us to draw near to you and be, be working in us to make us more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.